Good morning, friends. Good to see you. Sometimes I'm just, I'm overwhelmed that we get to be here together. And I don't know if you ever have this weird sensation where you wake up in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, I'm still alive. I'm, I'm still here and I get to enjoy life today. I get to enjoy beauty, creation. I get to enjoy people. I get to enjoy the mystery and the adventure of following Jesus in a world that craves it and needs it. That's what we get to do this morning. We get to listen to the Holy Spirit. We get to participate. We get to sing and enjoy each other. So it's good to be with you this morning. Hey, last week, um, I, there was a big miss on my part, and I had forgot to just say thank you to those of you who have served and in, in the, uh, veterans in the room. That was a miss on my part. So I wanna say this week, thank you for your service. And if you're a veteran, would you please take a moment to just stand so that we can just say thank you for all the ways that you've served us. Thank you. Yeah, we fully, we fully appreciate you and are grateful to you. So we're in this journey. We're going through what is called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 23, 24. And I'm going to invite you to take out your Bibles for a moment. There are Bibles that are in front of you. And what I'd like us to do is just to have the Scripture open. Um, we're going to be referring to some things listed in Galatians this morning. So I'd like you to be able to reflect on the text and interact with it. I think it's important to actually have it open. In our presence, it's on page 948, in case you're not quite sure where Galatians is. There's a lot of books in there, so it can be a bit confusing. So on page 948 is the beginning of chapter five. We're jumping down to verse 16 all the way through 24. Um, I'm not gonna read it this morning, but I want you to have it there as a reference point. Now, uh, we began our journey on the fruit of the Spirit eight weeks ago, and we uh, started uh, with an overview of what, the, of what the fruit of the Spirit is. We jumped through love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And for the next two weeks, we get to talk about self-control because all of us have this one locked down. So, um, uh, and as we have been doing, we've been doing a prayer together as a way of practicing and, and doing our best to create rhythms in our lives that actually sustain us and help us to grow into the kinds of people that Christ wants us to become. So um, these practices are meant for your own cultivation. They're not meant as just something you've got to check off the list. Um, we're doing our best to help you create good, healthy rhythms as you move through the week so that you can be alive in the places that you live, work, and play. We want the spirit to be vibrant in our lives. We want to cultivate more of the spirit in our lives. So we're going to say this prayer together as a practice. And if you would join me as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, inviting the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. So say it with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen 
in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Holy Spirit, you lead, we will follow. We're open and ready to receive all that you have for us this morning. Amen. So beats as a way to play off the imagery of things that we get to step into, um, rhythmically creating good, healthy practices that help sustain good, healthy characteristics that are a reflection more of the spirit in our lives. And we've said over the last eight weeks that when we talk about love and joy, that you can't have love without joy. You can't have joy separated from self-control. They're all interconnected and they work together. I've also said that these characteristics are things that are already true of us. These are not things that we have to pull in from the outside. As Jesus followers, we are given this gift and inside the very center of our lives is what I've called a seedbed. And planted in that seedbed are these nine characteristics. The question remains though for us is if these things are already true of us, then how do we go about cultivating these things so that they become more of an outflow and an expression of our humanity and who we are as Jesus followers. Now when it comes to self-control, all of us in the room have an emotion or a habit that we have a hard time controlling. Is that true? Yes, all right, you're with me, good. We all have a breaking point. So let's take, for example, this mighty weapon we have on our face called a tongue. And out of the mouth comes these things called words. Sometimes the words that leave our mouths are the kinds of words that actually bring destruction on the world. And what we would like to do many times as we speak is like, how do I get those words back in my mouth? But they go out and they have a life to them. So we, we have a tendency to lose control over our tongues or our speech, how we talk to people. We have a difficulty controlling certain habits. There are habitual patterns, things that we're entrenched in that are difficult for us to overcome. And how do we break those habits that we're entrenched in? Things that we're so used to that the idea of not being that kind of person seems so far-fetched that we're not quite sure if we can actually live into that. So how do we break habits, things that we're entrenched in, learned behaviors that has so swirled around us for so many years that it's, it's just hard to imagine living without these things. So when we lose our temper, for example, we say, well, I lost my control. I lost my self-control. Or when we give ourselves over to a desire or something deep inside of us that moves towards more destructive patterns, we say that my desires got the best of me and I lost my self-control and my desire actually won in the end. So we began in, in Galatians chapter five. And in Galatians chapter five, Paul talks about a lot of imagery and he talks about what are called the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit this morning. The works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. Now, when we talk about the works of the flesh, we are not talking about your physical body. If you look in Galatians 5, there's all of these uh, lists, uh, these seeds that get planted inside of the human heart. Things like resentment, debauchery, orgies, um, things like uh, envy and jealousy and discord and fits of rage. And I would call these things that operate inside of all of us as humans, I would call them kind of the command center of our soul. 
So there's all these messages that are getting sent to our command centers and we have, we're faced with choices every day, whether to exercise and move away from those things or to step fully into them. Now, Paul plays off this cool imagery and he begins to speak into Greek and Roman context. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, listen to what he says about self-control. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, according to the cultural norms in Paul's context, the Greeks and the Romans placed emphasis and exercised a great deal of self-control, but they did it for themselves. It was more about for me and for my good. He uses the imagery as the reason why we exercise self-control is because we want to win a prize. So it becomes about us. And as Jesus followers, Jesus continues to invite us into certain rhythms and patterns where we're moving away from just pleasing ourselves and moving into these rhythms of self-sacrificing and self-giving love where we're, we're always giving ourselves away for the flourishing of others. That's what Jesus followers get to do. So the question for us as Jesus followers is, why do we run this race? Why do we follow Christ in the world? What's the motivation behind our actions? What are we running for? We exercise self-control, but for what? For who? And Paul uses all this imagery and he says, the reason why we exercise self-control is for the sake of the other, not for ourselves. So the goal before Paul, the goal before Christ is the reason why we do these things is for the flourishing of others, for the community, not just to win a prize for me. Even Jesus um, is described as for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what was that joy set before him? It was you. So for the, for, the, for the sake of you set before me, this is what draws me into the future. This is what motivates me, is your flourishing, your rescue, your freedom, not just for myself. So the Greeks and the Romans practiced and shaped and were formed by this idea of we exercise self-control because self-control leads to freedom and freedom leads to the reality that you get to be in control. And we love being in control. As long as we can keep control, there's a sense of freedom, and that's what shapes and forms so much of our thinking today. So simply put, if you had self-control, you had freedom because you remain in control. We exercise self-control because it's good for you. But Paul turns that. It's not about feeding the ego, and and he begins to turn it and invite us. Actually, we exercise self-control for the flourishing of others, for the fulfillment of bringing others into a deeper sense of hope and trust. Now, exercising self-control for the sake of the self so that we can find freedom and be in control, I actually think is what we call stoicism. It's the stoic approach. Nothing gets to a stoic. Imagine when you meet somebody who seems like they're in control. They have this kind of this stoic posture about them. And a stoic individual remains and appears to be absolutely in control. So on the inside, they seem like they have everything locked in. In fact, I think sometimes religious people can become some of the most controlling people on the face of the earth. And I've actually met some of the worst and the actual best people inside religion. And it's interesting 
what continues to get spun out into the world. But I think ultimately self-control only comes when you want something more than yourself. When you want something bigger than you, because if it's just for you, I think eventually that runs out and it's not sustainable. And what Paul invites us into is to consider that we run for a different reason. We, we run this race and we exercise the fruit of the spirit for the sake and the flourishing of others. Stoicism is something that we see quite a bit in Western civilization. And I think that's the counterfeit of self-control. It appears like we're in control, but we're doing it for ourselves so that we can remain in control, which is actually a false sense of what is real. I think stoicism is just self-control without God. That's what it is. If we choose the stoic approach and decide that self-control is just a good virtue, then we've got to be disciplined. And eventually that leads to exhaustion. Now, this last week, as I was preparing to talk about self-control, Peter Turi, one of our members of the church, dropped this proverb on me, and it changed the whole course of what I was going to talk about this morning. So I'm like, ah, bummer. And I couldn't get away from it. I had a whole other plan. Then he dropped this proverb on me. I'm like, that's, I got to talk about that. That is so good. So in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, I want you to look at this for a moment, and I'm going to read it. And then I want us to just sit with it for just a few moments. But listen, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What are you saying through that text, Holy Spirit? Is there something that we should be paying attention to? Is there something that we should be leaning into closer so that we can hear your gentle whisper? Open us up so that we can hear clearly. After I read this, I thought of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, Nehemiah was informed that Jerusalem, the city, didn't have walls. And it says in verse 3 that he began to weep. Because Nehemiah realized that a city without walls isn't really a city. It's vulnerable. Anything can come in. Anything can wreak havoc on the entire community. And so he wept over the condition of Jerusalem. Because it wasn't really a city, or at least it wouldn't be a city for long, because eventually things would come in and all kinds of things could break in and bring siege to the city. And then I thought, and I wondered if this is too far, I think a human being without self-control isn't really a human being. Because there's an element where we, we begin to lose bits and pieces of our own humanity. And we see the breakdown inside of society. In Proverbs 25, and there's a lot of wisdom there because what it's saying is that we all need a wall around us, even as human beings, even as a church community, we, we need walls around us, not, not as a way of keeping people out, that's not the idea of a wall, but somehow within these parameters, this wall, which is self-control, actually brings the flourishing of others. So it's for the flourishment of others. And all kinds of people can be in a city, but what we want is the flourishing of human beings. Now, Paul takes this further, and he says, listen, there's all of these attributes inside of us as Jesus followers. All these beautiful characteristics are already true of us, but he also says there's this other part 
called the works of the flesh, the broken parts of humanity. Because among all of these godlike characteristics in this seedbed are other seeds that are planted in there, that get placed in there through our own experiences. So take, for example, things like resentment. Resentment is a seed that gets planted inside the human command center. And when resentment is watered, it turns into what? Hatred. Sometimes hatred can look like a lot of different things. It can look like indifference. So to me, indifference is actually just a milder form of hatred, but it's still hatred. And then that indifference or that hatred can become murder. The thought, the wishes, I just wish that person no longer existed. So when we look at things like resentment, it's also planted inside of the command center of the human condition. We have to constantly be aware of the things that we're watering, things that we're giving attention to, because what happens is when resentment slides in, the walls begin to come down and we're vulnerable. Or let's take envy. When unchecked and watered, what does envy become? Paranoia. And paranoia, when it begins to play out in the context of a relationship, can begin to break down relationships where we lose trust, we lose connection. All these things can happen. What about rationalizing? Aren't we fantastic at rationalizing? And rationalizing, saying, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Sometimes you got to blow off a little steam. It's totally okay. But rationalizing, when left unchecked and when watered, becomes what? Lying. And then it becomes a way of life. And again, the walls begin to come down and the city is more vulnerable. Lust, if gone unchecked and watered, becomes adultery. It can turn into all sorts of things. The human heart needs walls around it. And I think that wall is self-control. Because without the self-control, without the wall around the human heart, the human heart can go in all sorts of directions and all sorts of things can begin to break down and decay. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of aggravating people in the world. And there's actually a few in the room. Some aggravating people. And those aggravating people can quickly foster and water this thing called resentment inside of us if we're not careful. Isn't that true? In all of us. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of what we would call beautiful people in the world, especially in the Bay Area. And those beautiful people, if gone unchecked, can become objects of our desire. And it can take lust and wanting and longing and turn it into something else if we're not careful. So I think the wall is self-control, but not just for myself. This, this isn't just about me staying in control. I think it's actually for the sake of the city, for the whole community. And I think it takes a, a great deal of self-awareness when it comes to self-control. Where's the breach happening? What's, what's going on in the command center of my own heart? You've gotta be able to identify the seeds that are planted inside of you that exist in the same seedbed as the fruit of the Spirit. Because jealousy and envy can quickly become paranoia and paranoia can then begin to break away and eat away at the fabric of relationships and now there's brokenness. We have to identify the things that we're watering. What am I giving myself over to for the sake of the city, for the sake of the community, and for the flourishing of our church? So when I look at 
Paul's imagery, he takes it even further in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, and this is what he says. Listen. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, I like this term better than works of the flesh because I think the cravings of the flesh are actually getting us to something deeper to help me understand my motivations and why I do some of the things that I do. Now, that word cravings actually gets translated as commands. So think of it, the commands of the flesh. The commands of the control center of my motivations and why I do what I do. I remember years ago, a mentor of mine said to me, Jonathan, just because you think you're done with a certain sin or habit doesn't mean that it's done with you. I'm 51. That was probably said to me in my 30s. And at that point, when you're in your 30s, you're like, what is this guy talking about? He was right. Those things that we think, I've got control over this, it's like, "Uh, I don't know. That, That stuff still operates in there and we have to be aware of it. And those things can still manifest in all of us because if it's true that the cravings of the flesh are actually sending commands to your brain, it's not sending suggestions, my friends. It's sending commands. You must have this. You, you must go after this. You, you absolutely must have this. And isn't it interesting when those must-haves get turned into the ultimate gotta-haves? Because what happens so often is in the, the um, command center of the human heart, I'll call it, I think it, it can quickly become an idle manufacturing shop that's open for business. And an idol It's something that operates in all of us, but an idol or idolatry, um, it's the thing that you are absolutely convinced that you need to have in order to be happy. And isn't it interesting, the things that we are convinced that we need to have in order to make us happy or give us fulfillment, we always have time for those things. We often say in Western culture, you know, I'm just so busy, I don't have the time for that. But what I have found about myself and about others is that we always make time for the things that are most important to us. We always create space. We, we somehow have rationalized or we've convinced ourselves that th- these things aren't as bad as people make them out to be. But those things that, they can even be good things. They, they can be good, beautiful things, but those good things can turn into what I would call the best things. And then when the best things become the best things, they turn into the gotta haves. So we go from good to best to gotta have. And when we get to the gotta have is when that idol starts operating in the command center of our soul. And anytime you attack that precious idol, you freak out. You just lose it. Because you're like, this is like getting to my identity and my core. It sends messages to the human uh, soul, the human center, these gotta haves. And it, it starts to say things like, You have got to succeed or you're just a piece of dirt. So it gets right to the root and it's all about you. Our flesh, friends, is not just sending suggestions. It's not just sending, hey, have you ever thought about this? It's sending commands to the very center of who we are as people. It's not, hey, check her out or hey, check him out. It's like, hey, you've got to have him. You've got to, you absolutely do. The plan of the enemy, my friends, is not just to send you 
Small, seemingly insignificant messages. It, the plan of the enemy is, as he sends these messages, his plan is, don't make such a big deal about these things. It's not really that big of a deal. You're entitled to blow off a little steam. It's totally okay. My friends, hear this. I think we constantly underestimate the power of the enemy. We constantly underestimate. I hear it all the time. I've got this under control. I would never do that. Oh, my Lord. Have you, do you know yourself? I, I would never. I would never. When, when someone says, I would never, there's something inside of me that goes, oh, okay. I hope not. But I would be careful with, with saying, I would never. And again, I would start to ask myself, what, what seeds am I watering. My, my flesh isn't sending me little sweet suggestions. It's sending commands to good things, to best things, and to gotta-haves. Now, I failed to say this in week one, but I think if you were to take the fruit of the Spirit, all of these nine beats, these rhythms, and place them inside of a prism, and if we were to look through the prism and all of this stuff would shoot out, essentially what I think we would be seeing is holiness. So as we look through the prism of the fruit of the Spirit, we're getting an image of what holiness actually is. It's giving us like, oh, this is what holiness is. It's not just something. It's, it's a practice. It's characteristics. It's who we are. And that holiness is what we get to be as Jesus followers. We, we get to be a holy people who are set apart, who are going and living in a countercultural way according to the rhythms and patterns of the world that we live in. And I think about all of those characteristics as being these fortifying walls around us and in us so that we as a community can truly flourish. And I thought about the implications of that. Like what if, what if Hillside Covenant Church, its main priority was to live out the fruit of the Spirit? And that just because we're on week nine and we've got two weeks of week nine, that as soon as we're done, we're like, can we just get to something more interesting? But what if, what if, we decided as a community of Jesus followers that this is just the beginning for us. That actually loving our enemies, being a people who chase joy, not just for ourselves, but to realize that if, if I seek the joy of others that I find in myself, joy starts to grow and self-control starts to flourish in me. That I get to practice patience so that others can flourish in the community. That I actually wanna put a bridle and a bit on my tongue so I don't say stupid stuff that hurts people. But I'm constantly careful and aware of the people around me so that I'm constantly careful and focusing on the important thing versus the urgent thing. And I think that's how self-control begins to come up in us is if we focus on the important versus the urgent and not always operating in the tyranny of the urgent. And what's the important thing according to Jesus? Love God, love your neighbor especially the one who's different than you and love the person that God created you to be. Love God, love your neighbor, love the foreigner, love the outsider, and love this person that God created you to be. And all of those three have got to work together. That's the important thing. That's, that's the long target. That's the, that's the thing that's pulling me forward. The urgent thing says this, please yourself, listen to the commands. You can't wait. But here's the secret, my friends. When you desire to give others joy before giving yourself joy, again, self-control begins to grow in you. Jesus talks about losing yourself in order to find yourself. 
my suggestion to you would be stop looking for yourself and start looking for Christ and you'll find yourself. Rooted in what's real, rooted in, in these rhythms and these practices. So how do we cultivate more self-control in our lives and in our community? First of all, I would say this, you have to envision the long-term goal. What's, what's the long-term goal? And then I think you also have to be able to ditch the competing urges. Example, I think Paul talks a lot about envisioning the glory of God. And we sang about the glory of God, that we want the glory of God to fill this space and to fill our lives. Now, the glory of God is the importance of God, the full weight of God. When we say glory, we mean the weight and significance and matter of God, that you can't see through it, you can't dismiss it, you can't get around it. So that when we say God is glorious, we're asking God to fill this space with all that he is that his priorities become our priorities and not the other way around, inviting him into our priorities. But it's marked by the patterns and rhythms of who Jesus is. Now think about sin for a moment. I think sin could be said and described this way. Sin essentially is an infection of the imagination. Think about that. I think we've lost our imagination. I don't think we're dreaming big enough and large enough. I think God's dream for the restoration of all things is, is much bigger than we could ever imagine. So for example, when you watch a movie or you see a video, and in that video, you're exposed to human suffering or some sort of injustice that's happening to children in the world, the thing that you've known to be true all along suddenly becomes real to you because you're seeing it on screen. It's something that pops up. And then you have a choice uh, do I step into that and actually do something about it, or do I ignore it and remain in indifference? So it becomes real to you and invites you to step in and actually do something about the injustice to the point where you say, oh, I must act. I, I have to do something about this. And I think what self-control can do when we identify the real thing, it actually can help us to define our yeses and our noes in life to where we can clearly say no to this, yes to this. It's a deeper yes. I think the walls actually help us move into healthier yeses in our life. And I think the self-control that we talk about here in Galatians 5 somehow amplifies the glory of God. It's like taking the volume and turning it up to 11. Not just 10, no, 11, man. All the way up to 11. So we hear and amplify the glory of God. In Acts 23, Paul is on trial. And while he's on trial, somebody slaps him. This is fantastic. Paul turns to the person who slaps him and says this, maybe God will slap you, you whitewashed wall. That's amazing. That's in the Bible. Right? I'm like, like, if he had a mic, he would just drop it at that point. He's quoting to the high priest. It's like, dude, what are you doing? And he's quoting from the book of Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. And it says this, it is written that you should not revile a ruler of your people. I don't know about you. I do not have Exodus 22 at the tip of my tongue. I, I can't pull it up onto a video screen. But Paul is so rooted in the thing that's pulling him into the future that he's able to pull up something from Exodus chapter 22? Are you kidding me? To the point where as the anger rises up in that moment and actually see the thing which is more real, 
to compete and to say, listen, I have to ditch this urge to go after this and get down into the mud and sling with this person and actually step above that and look to scripture as my formative shaping principle in life, that this is the thing that's driving me. So much so that if we, as Jesus followers say, we're, we're actually gonna put into practice the fruit of the spirit, so much so that walls of self-control are gonna be built around this community so that when we have the urge to talk about somebody behind their back, we say, uh-uh, we don't roll that way. Because Jesus invites us to actually go to the person in private and talk to them. Jesus invites us into all sorts of practices where we get to love and care deeply for people. So as a community of faith, we get to put into practice all of the things that can snap us out of our seed beds of resentment and envy and discord and dissension, the things that actually pull us apart where Jesus says, I want to bring all things back together and restore relationships. And I think we always have a choice to make. Remember what I said at the beginning of this journey. There are times, friends, when we have got to take our faces and turn them towards Jesus. <sighs> looking away from the idols, looking away from the things that are taking us further away from our humanity, further away from treating our brothers and our sisters with respect and honor and look at Jesus, looking at Jesus. We have to have people in our lives that are taking our face and turning them towards Jesus. Look at Jesus, look at his beauty, look at his goodness, the things that snap us out of ourselves so that we can compete and discard all of those competing urges that are pulling us away from becoming more and more human. Because I think the desire, God's desire is that we all become more and more human, fully human, alive, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we choose to let Jesus be the master of our lives, guess what comes? The walls go up. So my invitation for you this morning, if you're here and you have not yet said yes to Jesus, you're exploring, you're looking, you're considering, what does it mean to follow Christ? I wanna extend an invitation to you to step into a deeper yes. You get to say yes to Jesus. To become a follower of Christ, to learn of Christ, to grow in Christ, to, to come alive in Christ, to practice self-control, not just for your own sake, but for the flourishing and the well-being of the whole community of faith in the world. So this morning, if you're there and you're on the cusp and you're not quite sure, I would invite you simply to just say, Lord Jesus, I don't know what it fully means to follow you, but I'm all in and I wanna say yes to you. I wanna follow you this morning. So I give myself over to you. I give my desires over to you. And I say, come and have your way, Lord Jesus. Amen.